Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So, Dominique, where, where do we begin in all of our various considering all things equine? Well, so you just told me you got your two shots of yes. vaccine against yes. COVID. Well, no, I didn't just get them. I've had, you know, so I was lucky enough to get the first, the second shot in end of April. So I've had oh. a month of, of being... Oh, so you've been immunized, fully immunized for a while now. Okay, I'm only getting mine next Monday. But so are you going to start traveling again? Well, that is, of course, a question because travel is definitely opening up a bit more here in the States. But I'm, I don't have any travel scheduled for this coming year. Though all the clinics still are going to be virtual and I'm really debating what to do. Do I start doing clinics? Do I stay home? I'm really so enjoying being able to stay home to work on projects. I bet. To be with the yeah. horses. And and I'm really I'm really so impressed by how useful and powerful the virtual clinics are. And as a matter of fact, I've got one coming up we're recording this, what's the date? Uh, June 22nd. June 22. Right. And I've got a virtual clinic coming up in July. July, sort of funny how I have to give the dates, but the clinic is July 8 through 10, and then the following weekend, the 16th and the 17th. Or if you're in Australia and New Zealand, because we've set it up so that the time will work, whether you're in North America or down under on the other side of the planet. It's a day later? It's a day later, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So it would be the 9th through the 11th and the 17th and the 18th. And I'm actually Mm -hmm. glad that you asked that question about the travel because this clinic is going to be on getting started. And it's, I think it's so important to get people off on a good foot, to get people started well. And, you know, with, you, can, you can go off and experiment later on and sort of go down a rabbit hole and discover, oh, I actually didn't like this particular procedure or whatever. And you haven't, you haven't caused too many major training issues. But when you start out with the clicker training, there, there are things that can haunt you for a very long time if you don't get a good start. And some of the things that can haunt you will be uh, will be centered around things such as the food delivery, where you are reaching into your pocket ahead of the click. And so the click doesn't really have the meaning that you wanted it to have. Or you're feeding in such a way that your horse is falling on his forehand and is out of balance. And so when you start riding, you're riding a horse who's on his forehand. Whereas if you'd been feeding in a way that presented the food so your horse was lifting up from the base of his neck 
now every time you feed, that horse is, is receiving the food in a good balance. And that ripple effect throughout your training is, is huge when you think of the thousands upon thousands of times that you're going to be clicking and treating, that I want to make sure that we get more, you know, sort of the expression is more bang for your buck. And so in that getting started phase, that getting people off on a really good footing, where they understand the concepts, there's been an opportunity to look at the basic handling skills, all of this is so important. It's why I spend so much time in things like this podcast and writing articles, and I've got that enormous blog up, uh, and uh, why I redid the step-by-step guide in pictures book, and we're always looking at how do we help people to be successful at the starting point. And so this clinic is, is that's the target audience. So people who are listening to this podcast, if you are just starting out with a new horse, maybe it's been a while since you've started a horse, or you're fairly new to clicker training, or, you know, this is, you, you've been clicker training for a little while, but you're encountering, oh, issues. You know, your horse is continuing to mug you, and you find that annoying, or uh, you're not sure really how to proceed forward with your training past the basics of targeting. There are you know, a lot where you've been accumulating more questions than answers. This is a great clinic. And, and I really would encourage people to go to my website, theclickercenter.com, and if you go to the events section, you'll see the descriptions of all the clinics, you'll see the description of the Getting Started Clinic, and you'll find you know, all the information you need in terms of the schedule and the price. And I would really encourage people to sign up for it because the, the virtual format is such a powerful way of of really helping people to get off in a really good, clean, effective handling with the clicker training. Because we have the first weekend, we get together for a group session once a day. So we meet on Friday for introductions or Thursday, depending on what, what time zone you're in. But we meet on the first day for introductions, then we meet again for three to four hours on the second day and the third day. And then I turn you loose during the week, but we have a private forum set up. And so people can video their training sessions. They can go out to the barn and they can video what they are doing with their horses. They send in a video clip and through the week, I'm giving them feedback on that session suggestions for things that they might uh, want to consider changing, ways of nudging their training forward, catching things that might turn into a problem later, or that are just simply a missed opportunity, or, or a, how about if you try this? Mm-hmm. And, and because it's a group forum, you get to see everybody's training. And so that, that's even more powerful because you get to see a range of uh, different different horses at different ages, different histories, different places in their training. You learn from each horse and, and each handler. And so through that week, 
you're getting feedback on your handling. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we get back together to look at the videos, to discuss the training, and to move the training onward. So it's just, it's just a great opportunity. And I don't give very many getting started clinics. So this is an opportunity that, that I really hope people take advantage of. And normally we put, you know, we're going to be saying, oh, I've got this event coming up, or I've just, we've just produced a course or whatever it is. Normally we put that at the end of the podcast. But this time, since you asked the question, it's sitting at the beginning. And I don't know what, we, what you were thinking about talking about, but maybe talking about, you know, the importance of those foundation lessons and all the places that we use them and how they keep coming back over and over and over again, you know, no matter what we're training. Because I know you've done a lot of really creative, fun especially at Liberty, work with your horses, where targeting and mat work, etc., are all part of what you teach. So if, if in terms of ways in which you have found that good, clean beginning to be really important, both thinking back in terms of what it was like when you were first exploring the clicker training, what you're looking at now, how you're using some of the basics, what would you want to throw into the mix? Okay, so, you know, I really, really believe in all those foundations and all the groundwork. And I think that there is not one second lost doing those exercises. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of it for many years and there's still things that I feel I need to work on. Because when you're doing all the getting started and the foundation exercises, you're doing that, you're, you're, you're learning your own mechanics, but you're also learning about all the principles behind the uh, operant conditioning, yes. you know, and you're learning about cues because writing is a lot about yes. cues. It's just a series of cues and how your horses understand and respond to the cues. So if you can't get a horse to respond to a cue on the ground, you know, if, and, and different horses will react differently. It's interesting when you have more than a horse to see that they don't necessarily, in the end, you'll, you'll probably arrive at the same destination, but they don't necessarily learn at the same pace. You may need to be more creative for this horse and the other horse learns it just, you know, very easily. It's, so it's not just about the horse responding to a cue because you, you know, you could have the horse responding to a cue to walk forward, but it's, bringing that into balance with everything else that you're teaching. And that's one of the things that you learn in the foundation steps as well, because otherwise you're going to end up with a horse that, yes, he walks forward when you ask, but he's also walking forward uh, at other times because he hopes that maybe if he does that, you'll click and reinforce it. And so you've got what they, what people refer to as horses that are Rolodexing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they're just throwing behaviors at you because at some point you reinforce them. And they're they're not they're they're confused. They don't know they don't know what to do when 
to get you to click and reinforce yeah. because the structure of your training hasn't given them that clarity. And that's one that's one that's of the right. things yeah. that in that those beginning steps of the clicker training and the way that I teach it, where we're everything is centered around those six foundation lessons, that what emerges is this structure that provides clarity for both you and the horse. So you're not getting into the Rolodexy, which can feel very out of control and not mm -hmm. fun at all. You think yeah. because we go we 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 want we use positive reinforcement because it's fun. And then the horse starts yes. throwing everything we've ever taught him at us and we go, oh, what's fun about this? <laughs> I know. You know it's funny because I was um I was trying to look in Paul Chance's and all the textbook about animal expectations. I didn't find anything yet. So I have to find another way to research what I'm trying to find. But because I've been experimenting this with Canel lately, where she expects she expects something from me. She expects attention and reinforcement for me in a certain context where there's you know, because I've, um, I don't want to get into too much detail, but there's an expectation in a context that's very similar to something where I'm fine uh, giving her all the attention, reinforcement and playing with her, but there's a little bit of a difference. And I want to clarify for her that in this, when this, the environment, when there's that little yeah. change in the environment, it's different, don't right. expect it. Because expectations so strong and, and powerful, you know, when I'll give you a quick example with her. And we should just to jump in, we should remind people that Canel is a dog. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, she's my dog. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but um, she used to not like very much to have. A, I had a, a sitter once come in and I usually put a harness on her. I don't know exactly what happened during that weekend, but anyway, she didn't, she was afraid of the harness. And so I've, I've kind of retrained it and I, I retrained it with steak and I've always continued to give her steak. You know, it's, it's just this, it's like six pieces that I will give her, or actually it's four. I give her three before where she puts her nose through the harness, one when I put the harness over your head, and there's the fifth one when I clip the harness. So it's always been like the five pieces of steak. And if I don't have the steak and I give her uh, just a kibble, she'll, she'll spit it out because she expects to get yes. steak for this. And so, uh, and I, it's fine. You know, I, I don't really care. I'm, I like actually doing this with her. I like giving her the steak. I like doing, for me, it's, it's been a, um, something I'm kind of fond of this little ritual that we have around her harness. But I, I find that when the, when an animal expects something it's, it's powerful. I mean, they can be very disappointed if you don't deliver what they're expecting, whether it's your attention, a clicker training session. And so, yeah, the clarity around when to expect what is certainly part of the good life for right. both end of the equation, the owner and the animal. So, yeah, back to your, so back to the, the foundation. Yeah, well, you were going to say something about expectations. Right, you've opened up a really interesting rabbit hole that we could go down. And and just as a heads up, 
I wanted to talk about writing today, so we'll we'll, so we'll maybe, maybe get to that. Our way to writing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel okay. as though at this point that I want to put my you know my favorite behavior <laughs> analyst on uh, speed dial and say, "Come help us out." But but let's let's see what we come to, and then maybe we'll have to call in a behavior analyst to say, "Okay, this is what we said." Now now sort us out because it. It makes me think of a number of things all related to you know beginning concepts and one is a really you know fundamental one which is reinforcement has to be seen from the perspective of the one receiving it so if i'm saying mm -hmm. you know, like i have to give fengor some medicine and he's been through the spring really really good at taking it it's part some of his pills are to relieve sweet itch and they and it works and it's just heavenly to have this horse for the first time in years not just miserable and f covered in sores during the summer months it's just been gay but they're very expensive pills and i want to make sure that he eats them so i'm reluctant to put them in his food because sometimes he doesn't quite finish everything in his bowl so he's been really good at taking them by hand and until recently. And so now I'm adding uh, peppermints to them. We're slowly okay. getting around to the... So he will eat his, his meds if I put peppermints in them. Robin okay. adores peppermints. I could reinforce Robin for all sorts of things by giving him peppermints. If you tried to reinforce me with peppermints, you'd have no luck at all. I would spit them out. I don't like peppermints. So it's all, you know, so it, you have to see it from the... I didn't know yeah, that. I don't like peppermints. So they would not be, they would not be a reinforcer for me, but they would absolutely be a reinforcer for Robin. And, and so you have to see these things from the perspective of the individual that you are reinforcing. So that's part of it. And then this also made me, your this description of Canel made me think of one of the... Uh, video clip that Ken Ramirez likes to show when he's talking about his conditioned reinforcers. So we want we want a variety of reinforcers for, for many reasons, and the many reasons we don't necessarily have to go into. But some of those reinforcers really have to be taught. And so Ken has a very systematic way in which, in which mm, he yeah. teaches conditioned reinforcers and one of the conditioned reinforcers that he might that he uh, shows is clapping and so right, he'll right. clap and then he follows that with a primary reinforcer with maybe a piece of food whatever and and he sets up this very 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 systematic procedure for yeah and it's very it's a very progressive yes. because like if I think in a session, he might do one or two of these right, clappings right. and that's it. Right. It's not, you know, you don't, it doesn't get conditioned in three no. sessions. It, it's it takes, very systematic yeah. and yeah, it's, and it's very, very progressive. Both how you teach it, <clears throat> it's very systematic how you use it. So it's not something that where mm. you say, oh, good, now that I have this. I'll only clap. <laughs> right. I only get, I only have to clap. Right. So, and, yeah, and in a no. sense, you could see it as a chain, that this is part of That's a true. longer chain where the animal knows that, that he's on his way to get the 
the treat. But Ken shows, yeah. as an example of expectation, he's working with his dog, and he's taught her that when she comes running when he calls her, that he can clap, and she's, she knows that she's done a good thing. And then he, and, and she accepts that as the reinforcer. She's perfectly happy to, okay. re, to accept that as a reinforcer. And I hope I'm not butchering this example because it's been a while since I've seen the video. But later he's clipping her toenails. And he's worked, mm. he's done a, a very, again, because it's Ken, he's done a very systematic procedure to teach this dog to lie quietly and accept having her toenails clipped. And, and she does, yeah. in the past originally, did not like having her toenails clipped. But now yeah. when he clips, it's click and feed. Well, he, this time he clicked and, oh, no, and he, claps. he offered her a favorite toy. So he offered okay. a very favorite toy. And she got up and left. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, not for favorite toy is great, but not, not for toenail clipping. And yeah. and so there are certain expectations that. Yeah, and you hear sometimes, you know, like agility. People will say if they try to give food on the course, the 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 dog doesn't want it. He'll want the toy, or some, and then vice yeah. versa. Like you just explained, and the yeah. So sometimes they expect something, and if you give them something else, even if it's something else, they would nor in another situation that they would really enjoy. They don't ex they expect something yeah. else, and it's kind of well, you, you uh, uh, anthropomorphologically, we would say they're disappointed, yeah. but. What we can see is that it's not reinforcing in that right. instance. If, if I am expecting a paycheck at the end of the week, and you give me and you give me a compliment, or you give me flowers. You know, I love flowers. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, that's a good I example. Want, I want the paycheck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's a fun rabbit hole, and that's the sort of thing that you know, in terms of the beginning. And really looking at some of these, these, the concepts that can become really mm. head spinning, but it's yeah. All right, what are some of the, the head spinners that you've encountered so far as you explore positive reinforcement? Where is there some way that we can maybe help that particular disc to spin a little more slowly so that we can understand it more clearly? So. Well, in a way, it's kind of loopy training for us because, you know, it's not when you're a little bit stressed on top of a horse that uh, you can start to parse out all these things. Um, they're already complicated when you're relaxed on the ground. Yes. And, you know, sometimes you have to go have that cup of tea because you're not getting it or the horse is not getting it. So I think that you know, when I look at all the clicker training, all your foundation lessons, and you're always take parsing it out, and there's always another layer. And, you know, sometimes when I look at you teach, actually, I was, I was just looking at some of your DVDs again. Uh, this morning, I was looking at the single rein riding and some of those um, capture the saddle and, you know, the DVDs are around number yeah. 12, 13. We'll talk about that later, maybe. But um, 
you know, you have a person on a horse or maybe not even on a horse and there's like a hundred details in order for it to get it really yes. right and clear yes. for the horse and yes. And every time I know that when I'm sitting on my chair, I'm like getting, oh my God, there's so many things that are not right. And you're so patient and you have all this, um, what's the word in English? Uh, like you're, you're, cause you could inundate or, or what's, I'm, I'm getting all these French inundate words. You could is, yeah. throw inundate at, is. yeah, you could throw at this person, like at least 15 things she should modify in order to start to get it right but you're very patient you take one thing at a time you work on one thing and you hold back on all the other things and sometimes I'm like okay if you're getting impatient look at Alex how good of a teacher she is you know because when the animal I I'm I seem to be more patient when you're doing all the work between humans you know, because there's no yeah. animal involved and I'm not worried that the animal is getting confused. But when the animal is in is involved, I'm like, oh my God, how, how can the animal understand that its owner is not quite there? And so it's not, not only are we teaching the animal, but we're teaching the, 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 the writer at the same time. And, you know, what's amazing is at the end of it, the animal gets it even though there's been so many mistakes you know in the end it goes in yeah. the right direction and that for me is like a miracle sometimes because you wonder how can the animal know that you know all these mistakes were just a mistake and in the end they get it although we're not you know they're, they're very uh uh forgiving yeah. in a way for for our mistakes you but know and i'm i'm always ideal world yeah in the you should not world, use the you know when you yeah. say because I'm, I'm as you're saying oh and Alex is so patient and I'm thinking I hide it well don't I? <laughs> you know I guess I hide it well because yeah you do because well sometimes I'm in my chair and I'm like I can't watch I have to stop I have to like and then I come back and I can watch it again and say okay some someone's learning yeah. here you know don't don't get judgmental right, about right. all the things going wrong. Look at how this teacher is steering this person in the right direction without making her feel inadequate. That's a big skill yeah. for a teacher. And so I really admire because, that. Because that's one of, you know, in the, in the DVDs, and it's interesting that you're, you're watching, I think it's number 12 is Capture the Saddle, because I was just watching the beginning of... Well, actually, no, look. Number 12 is riding on a triangle. Capture the 11. saddle is the okay. one before. Okay. Yeah. Because I was, yeah. I was. So I'm right now, right now I'm uh -huh. here. I'm with yeah. Helen House and riding on a triangle. Well, I was just starting yes. to review lesson number two, ground manners, because I think I may put that up as a streaming, because I just, I just put oh, lesson yeah. number one up as a online course. And right. so I thought, well, should I or shouldn't I do lesson number two? Oh my God! In the end, you'll get to all of them, maybe. <laughs> uh, in the end, maybe. Um, where was that taking me? Yeah, we were talking about being oh, a patient right, right. Uh, so, teacher or steering yeah. person. Oh, oh, because it, because the clinic because the DVDs are exactly that. They you know they were often filmed. Most of them were filmed at clinics, 
where you are watching yeah, yeah. somebody learn. Yeah. Because I think that's right. more useful and more powerful yeah. than watching me or one of my uh, more experienced clients showing you a polished, finished, this is what it looks like. Because then when you go back out to your barn, it's not what it looks like. No, and it, it doesn't take two minutes, yeah. you know, so you see that it took this person 15 yeah. minutes before they got yeah. this and one on, piece. On the and so the Saddle uh, DVD, the Hatlinger that we show in the, that sort of classic first single rein riding lesson, he was probably one of the wiggliest horses I've ever encountered. He wiggled all over the place. And, and so when you try it with your own horse, it's likely to be much better. You'll feel yeah, easier. You're, you know, you're not, not dealing with such a wiggly, wiggly, wiggly horse. And she, the rider, had been sick. She was sick the first, I think that was a five-day clinic. She was sick for the first two days. So she was actually jumping in into the middle of the lesson. And so in the ideal world, in the ideal world, you've done all of the preceding steps. And so right. it's much smoother than it was on that particular day with that particular horse. And one of the things that I would say is, and that, and that loopy training definitely reinforces and the whole constructional approach to training reinforces, is if you encounter a lot of resistance in the training, and whether that's as a um, the handler, if you're a teacher and you find yourself repeating and repeating and saying it louder, <laughs> that's a cue <laughs> that should be uh, an indicator to you that it's mm. not that the person isn't hearing, that the wind isn't blowing your voice She's the not other deaf. way, but that um, <laughs> you're missing a component. You're missing an mm. underlying piece. And if you can step aside and teach that piece, everything will go so much more smoothly. So in that lesson, mm. the, the lesson that precedes the rider getting on and actually precedes the going to the mounting block, because we started at the mounting block. And it's like, mm. oh, the horse, yeah, yeah. The horse you doesn't, did. Even, doesn't stand doesn't line up next to the yeah. mounting block. So, oh, good. That's an mm. opportunity to connect the rein to the horse's hip, which is a real safety. That's a that's for safety. That's like right. putting your seatbelt on before you, or putting your helmet on before you get on a bicycle. So that's for safety. Anyway, which is another whole topic. That's a another rabbit hole we could go down. But pre yeah, we could. that is a ground exercise where the handler was walking across a circle, turning around a cone. And then when yeah. you think of all the lessons that precede being able to walk your horse on a straight line, turn where you want to turn. And I mean, yeah. it's not simple. Some horses no. make it look simple. They're just really, you know, really good guys. But other horses, like um, lesson number two, is ground manners. And in the second half of lesson number two, I used video from uh, our stallion, Sindri. And Sindri was, oh, what a, what a dream, dream horse. 
people who, you know, people would talk in clinics, they would say, oh, you know, I've got this stallion, or can I bring a stallion? And my, my first reaction when people started to talk about stallions would be to say, well, I don't, you know, I don't generally handle, I don't have a lot of experience handling stallions. And then I always have to stop myself and go, wait a minute, my riding horse is a stallion. What do you mean you don't have experience <laughs> handling stallions? You ride a stallion. But, but Siri was such, he was just such a solid, solid citizen that I never put him in that category of, and you know what I mean mm. when we talk about stallions, that's the, the horse that mm. is, um, whether it's a gelding, a mare, or a stallion, it's, but it's, you know, we seem to think of them as stallions, that's that horse that is, you know, biting at you and screaming at the mares and, you know, all of that behavior that can be so challenging to handle. Sindri, mm. Sindri never, I don't think I ever saw him even open his mouth to another, to a mayor. He was just mm. extraordinary. But when he first came, you could not walk a straight line with him because he would wrap around you and, and steer you. Mm. And it never felt threatening, never felt dangerous, but it was uh, nonetheless unacceptable because there are times when you'd like to be able to go from point A to point B and you've got this horse wrapped around you, moving you mm. elsewhere. And mm -hmm. so, you know, and and here is this really super, super, super nice horse. When he first came over from Iceland, we could not walk a straight line. So, so you can mm. have really nice horses who you still can't lead. You know, it's not right. just, oh, I've got this, this problem horse. I've got you know, this horse that just hasn't learned yet, you know, a good basic leading manner. So you have to go back and you go back and you go back and you go back. So that you can tease apart the underlying components because it's easier to teach a small piece than a complex yep. behavior. Yep. You can always, you know, I, um, my, my horses are now in, um, in their summer yep. paddock. And so now, uh, and, and so the, the arena is, is a bit far and sometimes I don't want to walk all the way up there. Yesterday was really, really hot here. And last year I was grooming them. I would put a little wire on the shelter and groom them individually in the shelter. But Pico would always kind of be in my back, nudging me a little bit. And so this year I decided I would take them out and just tie them to the fence, you know, so they were kind of farther away from, I couldn't, you know, I was just yeah. too far over the fence to be yeah. reached. And so, you know, what happens is the other two now knows that, you know, she's too far, she's, she's not involved with us. I don't have to, to take care of them. I, I can concentrate on the horse that is being tied on the fence, but I didn't just tie a horse on a fence. You didn't. You know, I thought you, mean, you, you didn't want you didn't go through the I didn't just <laughs> tie the horse up. Tie him He's, and then and then brush him and take his feet yeah, and all that. You, you know, I, I I wanted to have a really clean loop on the tying of the horse yeah. at the fence. And so I didn't spend five hours on that, but I sure spent I, I made sure, you know, that. I spent time on the tiniest loop 
First of all, we went to the fence. I wanted to make sure they were okay at that location. Then I, I, of course, I learned how to make a good knot, a knot that can be easily, quick release. Um, you yeah. know, that you, quick release knot. I think everybody should know that, how to do this, because you may always need a knot like this in an emergency situation where you have to tie your horse to something. And then I just, you know, went around the horse, you know, one step at a time, especially with Bonanza, because I know if he reaches the end of a rope, he panics. And so I wanted to make sure there would be no panic. I could go around the horse before I even picked a brush or picked a foot. So I really took the time. It didn't take that long, but, you know, I went around the horse and then all we, and then I untied, I came back. Then I did pick the feet and then I did do the brushing, but I tried to work on the smallest loop I could imagine. That reminds me of, of um, Panda when I first started with her because, you know, as a working guide, she was going to need to be tied for periods of time. Mm. That was part of her job description. And yet when she came to me as a baby, that was not in her her skill set. It was not in her repertoire. Well, it's a hard skill, especially if you're left right. alone. You know, I know that sometimes you see those what they call patient post. I've seen that in certain places that for me was horrific, where they they leave the horses there until uh, learned yes. helplessness or extinction or call it whatever you like. That was not the process no. I was going for. Uh, no, no, no. I wanted to build and, and I stayed, you know, I'm not leaving my horse at this point. I, I don't need to do or, you know, I'm not leaving them like 100 feet away. And, you know, let's see what happens. For now, I'm just staying around with them. Eventually, I might work on that, but I don't really need it at this point. I just need to be able to, you know, go refill my pockets and get my brush and do little things like that. So I'm staying close. But in the case of Panda, yeah. Were, so, did you so have when, to leave when, uh, him? When she was first in training, she went everywhere that I went, which meant that she mm -hmm. uh, went to the barn with me at night. And so when we first got, when I first got to the barn with her, I would put her on a tie in the barn aisle for the briefest okay. of briefest moments. And yep. then I would take one of the big horses out of their stall and Panda would go into the stall. And then that okay. gradually that amount of time that panda was on the tie and where i was walking away and doing something else just gradually expanded so Increase. you know mm -hmm. but initially it was just really just a minute or two and she's in the stall a couple minutes more and she's in the stall until eventually she was on that tie all night long so and that was Ooh. hours and that was wow. um when you know there were horses going past her, there would sometimes be horses who were being groomed right next, basically right next to her, or the the lesson people. And this is not cross tied. This, is just, this was just like tied. Right. And she would yeah. she would mm -hmm. um, she would take a nap. That was always really cute. She just sort of fall asleep on, wow. on the tie, and and you wow. know there'd be because this was just like in a cowboy yeah. movie. And and it was a lesson <laughs> barn, so there would be people going by and and I was always really fierce about no you cannot pet the pony so the panda could relax and and just feel yeah. but you know it started out as 
as a small a loop. Tiny small loop. And and we have yeah. the option of putting letting her go into a stall, you know, taking one of the big horses out and putting her in the stalls where she could, you know, do whatever she wanted. Relax. Um yeah. and that mm -hmm. what evolved over time was a horse who was just impeccable on a tie right. for very, very long duration. Wow. So yeah, you it starts it starts with these really simple things. Always. Always. You know, and I, I don't know, you were asking me before, 10 years ago, I think I would have tied and brushed already, you know, whereas here I I did these such small, small, small loop and it went yeah. really quickly, you know, where I got to right. the brush, but I didn't go there first, you know, it wasn't, and, and, and I remember you always say, you know, no matter how good you are, when you start, you're always yes. a lumper, and I'm sure I'm still a lumper, but, you know, I wouldn't even have thought of all these little smaller steps that I could play with. And in a way, you know, because when you're tied to just a little fence, if they were to panic, it could be a horror story yes. because they're easy to yes. break, right? It's yes. just like a paddock fence. So if a horse really pulls, they can break it, I'm sure. So i you know, you, you have that too. And it's not the same, you know, when you're in the stable, they're on a cross tie, not much can happen. Oh, a lot can happen. Well, maybe. Because if you have a horse who panics on a cross tie, particularly one that's, yeah. that's set up so it doesn't break, you can have a broken horse, seriously broken horse. For me, I, I'm outside my summer paddock. You know, the road's not very right. far. I'm tying my horse to this fence, but you know, there's definitely you know I'm very aware of the safety issues I even did because there were some cars at some point and I tested it you know I I, I had my hand on the on the quick release uh, right. you know the way the the knot is made and you know I was really really testing if the bonanza was okay with cars driving by he was so I was able to go to the next loop but you know, it looks like such a simple little thing, right? And you can, and in a way, you know, I kind of enjoy doing these things now, finding these little loops and seeing how quickly it goes when the, when you can yeah. get to the next yeah. loop. Because yeah. you're really just, you're in a way, you're just testing the waters to see what do you know? You know, what do you already have uh -huh. in your repertoire? Oh, you know that. Good. We can go, Pat. We can move on. Oh, you know that. Good. We can move mm. on. Oh, you don't know that. I'm glad we found that out before I moved on. Yeah, yeah, that, exactly. I'm sure there are people who are listening to this who are sort of rolling their eyes going, oh, good grief. Don't you ever do anything with your horses? Time. I mean, <laughs> how, you know, it's just time, people. It's just Well, it took five minutes, you know. It didn't take yeah, long. But, but, but also... You know, we, we take for granted some of these things. And yeah, absolutely. And if you've been lucky enough to have a horse or multiple horses even who come to you tying well, you know, where it's never been yeah. an issue, you can tie them to your horse trailer and you don't come back and find that the horse is, has panicked, pulled back and destroyed himself in the horse trailer. You can tie him on cross ties. You can tie him on cross ties and on single ties and nothing ever happens. And so you you take it for granted, just as if you've always had a horse that stands well for mounting or loads onto a trailer. You take these things for granted. 
until mm. you encounter that horse who doesn't load onto a trailer or who throws his head into the rafters when you try and put a bridle on. And because of your Cavalia experience, you didn't just have one or two or three or four horses. You, over the course of the time that you were involved with Cavalia, you had hundreds of horses. So you right. saw a huge range of behavior. You know, horses yep. that came to the Cavalia trainers with history, and some of that mm -hmm. history was problematic. So you saw mm -hmm. that, that there are horses who do throw their head up into the rafters when you want to put the bridle on. You saw that there are horses who don't just pick up their feet when you ask them to clean their feet. You saw that there are horses who don't just load onto trailers or who don't mm. tie safely, and that these are things you can't take for granted, that you have to go through a training process if you want to feel confident that you will get the, be the desired behavior. And when you've seen as much as you've seen over the years, you also know that when it goes wrong, it's, it can be catastrophic. And certainly it can be very terrifying. And so neither one of them, and you know, it's like, I don't have, I don't have to have seen some of the things that can happen. People tell me stories, you know, right, and, I, right. and I listen to these stories. I just had, oh, a really scary one of a horse. It was in a, uh, just, a, uh, just a treasured, treasured horse who was in a hired lorry. And thankfully, the lorry drivers spotted it, but this horse was um, started to panic in the back of the lorry and cut her face, cut her, her legs, um, and severely damaged the lorry. Well, what had happened was the way this lorry was constructed, she couldn't get her head down, and they had a hay net, and she was choking, and she oh panicked in the lorry. Yeah. Wow. So now I don't have to live that experience. I will now look no, at no. every, you know, I would say, oh, that is not a lorry I would put a horse in because you could. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and the other thing too is that because, you know, I want my horses to be relaxed when I'm doing all these things because you could have a horse that is tolerating being tied, that, but that is very yeah. nervous. I want my horses to be very relaxed yeah. when they're tied and not from learned right. helplessness, right. you know, not from having learned that there's nothing they can do if they feel right. trapped, but just that they've learned that it can be a good experience being tied that, you know, nothing scary will happen. We're just doing this now tied and it's fine for yeah. them. And if I, if I ignore yeah. all of that tension and then mm. I get on under saddle, I shouldn't be surprised if, if I get tension. <laughs> You know, well, yeah, if I get kicked, not kicked out, bucked but um, yeah, bucked you know, off, but yeah. you know, just as simple as <laughs> gee, my horse is awfully tight in his jaw and stiff in his body. Well, yeah, for the last half hour, he's been protecting his body from the grooming that he hates. So, mm. you know, and, and that that sort of brings us, you know, there's another circling back, looping back. So, 
in our previous episode, we had Anita Snay with us in that lovely conversation that Anita shared with us and where she shared an awareness through movement lesson. And when you talk about all of the the going back and, you know, you can, it's, it's really not even going back. It's the teasing apart. What are all the elements that you can tease out and look at as separate elements? And yeah, I think it, it you know, that legal uh, image, the constructional image that you have all these legal pieces, then you put them back together. I think that's so such a clear image of how we yes. train now. Yes, you have building blocks. Yeah, the building blocks. And every building block has building blocks, you know. So yeah, and you're not solid if you're missing yeah. a block. Mary Hunter has been has been teaching this as atomic shaping, and I think that's you know it's a it's a great image because you have molecules, you have compounds, and then you have the compounds are made up of molecules, and you and the molecules are made up of atoms, and so you know all these the units just get smaller and smaller that we look at, and with the for example with the rider or the handler. There's so much that's involved in, you know, there's so much involved just in brushing a horse. Remember the, the converse, that wonderful conversation that we had with Kyle Hetzel where he was talking about the giraffe who, who let them know in very uncertain terms which trainer the giraffe wanted to work with, which is very flattering mm. if you happen to be the trainer the giraffe wants to work with. But, but totally disheartening if you are the trainer that the giraffe is saying, no, 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 don't come near me. And you think about when you are stroking a horse. I mean, there are people that one of the expressions that I learned from John Lyons that I really, that I really took to heart and have incorporated deeply into my work is if you can hear yourself petting the horse, you're petting too hard. There's something that people, mm. I don't know why, but people like to do the, oh, what a nice horse. They, you know, that's right. They like, they to, like slap to slap the horse. The horses. Where and why does that come from? Good, Good horse. horse. Slap, yeah. slap, slap. Oh, talk <laughs> about fingernails on the blackboard. So if somebody does that in my presence, there's always the, well, if you can hear yourself petting the horse, you're petting too hard. <laughs> And so when you think about the difference between a slap, that action, and a mm. stroke, and then if I think mm. about some of the Feldenkrais work, and I've been having this, just for me, it is a wonderful time where I, because I, I have a library now of ATM lessons, awareness through movement lessons from Anita, and it's got to be three or four weeks ago, I started this sort of a marathon where I don't think I've skipped a day where I haven't done one, if not two ATM lessons. And I just feel great. And the changes. Can you remind us what the letters ATM stand for? Awareness through movement. Okay. And what I've really been appreciating is how much this is influencing for the good my writing because what I, what my nervous system is really incorporating, really learning, is much more flexibility and mobility and a number of options. There's so many different other ways of doing every action. 
you know, so I can stroke. I could, I could, I could keep my shoulders stiff and stroke my horse. Or you could stroke Canel. You could stroke your dog. And that would be one experience. Or you could be free in your shoulder and stroke that horse, stroke that dog, stroke that cat. And it would be a completely different experience from the receiver's point of view. Mm -hmm. One would feel a little bit hard or clumsy or stiff possibly even unpleasant and the other would feel really inviting so you pick up a brush and you're somebody whose breath is corseted by their the tightness in their shoulders by you know where you're you're very stiff and rigid in your movement and you're brushing in sort of that stiff and yeah the dust is flying off because you're so stiff and the horse is going oh when is this going to be over and so mm. You know, everything, everything is connected. And then, you know, so you have that experience of using a brush where the movement, uh, the use of that brush involves every part of you. Or is it just from the elbow forward? You know, and, and when you are brushing, when it's, you know, coming from that place of awareness, that the uh, things such as the Feldenkrais work really opens up for us, then you are preparing yourself and you're preparing your horse for an amazing ride. Just mm. an amazing ride. But there, there's a lot to get there, right? I mean, um, there's so, so many details and you can see a good rider through all those little details how smooth everything is going from the very moment they put their foot in the barn. Um, you know, how they enter the stall, how they put the halter on, how they prepare the horse, the, everything. You know, and everything can be, like you say, an opportunity for a lesson because there's a building block less, uh, yeah. missing. And so the horse will tell and, you. And that's what okay, we're working on the building yeah, block. That's today. right. And that's what creates the ability to be patient. You know, that uh, mindset. Yeah, you were going to say before maybe something about when, when there's all these errors being done and there's an animal involved. Did you say everything you wanted about that? Oh, there's always more to say about everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, know. I think for now, I think we've, we've, we've covered yeah, it you well. Did. You, you wanted to talk about riding. Dominique and I are about to take a deep dive into riding, so this is a good stopping place. We'll pick up next time with a detailed description of how you add clicker training into your riding. We started this current episode with a discussion of an upcoming virtual Getting Started clinic. That's in July of 2021. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast in time to join in. To learn more about this clinic and the other clinics that I'll be giving through the rest of the year, go to the events section of my website, theclickercenter.com. You'll see a full description of all the clinics that I'm giving this year along with the schedule. I look forward to welcoming you to one of these virtual clinics. They are 
great fun and they're a great learning experience. If you haven't worked with me before, the Getting Started Clinic is a great one to start with because it's an opportunity to confirm your foundation skills so we can move forward smoothly into more complex training. And speaking of complex training, next time we'll be talking about riding. And in the meantime, have fun with your horses.